He said, great, be ready at 7.30. I was like, for what? He said, I'm coming to get you. Brad Seitzma drove up in his red Chevy, I can't, Chevy Cavalier, picked me up, took me to, took me to Young Life Club where I experienced Young Life Club for the first time. 80, about 80 people packed into this, the upstairs of this room. Um, I got pied in the face at my first Young Life Club. It was great. Um, and I also met my, my Young Life leader, Grant Hadasaki. Um, and that relationship, those, those two relationships, I think, are probably some of um, really, there's some really significant relationships for me um, in life. Uh, I just talked with Grant Hadasaki. Uh, we've been corresponding via text um, over the last couple of weeks. And um, I just, I, the relationships that I've built in the ministry of Young Life have been absolutely amazing and really fun. Um, and I want to just share with you just a little bit about what this ministry is. Um, this ministry um, has been around in St. Joe since 1954, but it's really about intentional adults and college-age folks going and building relationships with middle school students, high school students, college students, friends with special needs, and sharing with them the great news about who Jesus is. Um, and we're doing that not just with, uh, we're doing that hopefully to every kid. Every kid out there deserves the opportunity hear about who Jesus is from somebody who really loves them and somebody that really cares about them. Um, and I've had the privilege of being a part of this uh, ministry here in St. Joe for the last 17 years. Um, I am, uh, I, but I follow, I follow some really great folks. Um, I stand on the shoulders of, of the likes of Bob Miller and the likes of Dave Hind. Um, and, and there are leaders and committee and, and folks who have uh, who are actually sitting in this room that I, I get to serve with, um, and that I get to go and build relationships with teenagers and share with them about who Christ is. Um, and it is a beautiful and scary thing all at the same time. Um, but I want you to know that one of the greatest tools that we have in the ministry of Young Life is this thing called camp. Um, and I would love to ask anybody that's sitting in this room that's been to a young life camp, a wildlife camp, a work week, a fall weekend, um, as an adult guest on summer staff, work crew, or any of those things, would you raise your hand? I would love, there are a ton, this, holy cow. That is amazing. There are a ton of folks who have been a part of this ministry, but more than, more than that, they've been a part of sharing the gospel of Christ with folks um, and Young Life Camp is an absolutely amazing way to do that. Um, and it's an adventure um, that we get to go on with our friends. Uh, leaders invite their friends to go and be a part. And they actually get to spend that time with them. Um, I have a little video um, that I would love to show you guys. So if you guys wouldn't mind um, taking a, it's, it's pretty short. It's a little two-minute video about what Young Life Camp actually looks like in the summer.
I would love, in, in uh, Wellspring style, um, folks who have been to camp, I would love to just shout out a couple of words that you, that you think about when you think about camp. So go ahead. I want, I want to hear a few, like five or six words. Anybody? Best week of your life. I heard food back there. Best week of your life. What other words? Adventure. God. Yes. One more. What? Intentional, yes. Um, I want you to know that a week, I, I, I share this a lot, that a week with a high school, a middle school kid, or one of our Capernaum friends, or a college student at a Young Life camp is basically like spending a year with them at home. Um, just because of the amount of interaction that you get in that week, where you're just able to sit around tables, eat meals, have conversations that you wouldn't normally have um, that are both of spiritual content, but also of like just relational content. Um, and the ability for, for folks to, for leaders to engage in the lives of, of their friends that are there with them is really absolutely amazing during that week. Um, and so camp is a significant part of what we do. It is, it is not all that we do, but it is a significant part of what we do. And we work really hard at making it so that the opportunities for kids to go to camp from St. Joe are available. Um, that, that, uh, that, that they can go, that they can sign up, that they can say yes, that they can, that they can be a part of things. I do want you to know that there is a financial expense and a financial obstacle that sits before us. Um, when we try to invite um, our friends to go to camp. Um, and here's what, that, that, here's what those conversations look like um, with leaders and, and, and high school, middle school, Capernaum kids or, or college students who want to go to camp. Hey, I would love for you to go to camp with me. You want to go to camp with me? That sounds awesome. I love the video. It was great. I want to go. It costs $800. Oh, I can't go. <laughs> but I want you to know 
that here's what we train our leaders to say. Here's what we tell our leaders who are genuinely engaged in relationships with those kids, who are genuinely wanting to share the gospel of Christ with them. They say, hey, if money's what's holding you back, let's go ahead and sign up. We'll figure out how to help you get there. And so I want you to know that the offering that's going to happen today with, with the Advent stuff or anything that goes back in that box helps high school students, middle school students. And when I say Capernaum, those are, that's a ministry to our friends with special needs. Our college students is going to help people make it to a place where they can experience that kind of adventure that, is on, that, that we saw in the video, um, where they can sit, where they can take this thing and throw it away for a week or a couple of days where they can sit, have conversations with their leader, um, hear from a speaker up front about how much Jesus cares about them, loves them, wants to be with them. And so I am asking um, you if you would help me make it so that when leaders say, hey, money's not an obstacle, that that's a true statement, um, that we have the ability to help our friends get to camp with us. Um, and so um, I just want to say a couple of things. One, we plan on taking between our, our high school Young Life trip, which is headed to Colorado this summer, our middle school um, wildlife trip, which is headed down to southern Missouri. Uh, uh, we have a camp down in southern Missouri. Our uh, our college Young Life Work Week, which is also down in so Southern Missouri, our Capernaum Camp, which I don't know where that's at yet, but usually it's in Nebraska, um, and our the two fall weekend camps, the, the high school and the middle or the high school and the college fall weekend camp. We plan on taking about 170 different people to camp with us this summer, where we get to have conversations. Um, that is a lot of teenagers, and that is a lot of expense. And so I would ask um, that this Advent season, when you're thinking about, hey, could we, what does it look like to, to, uh, to, to live a little differently? Or what might it look like for you to give a day at a Young Life camp to a kid, um, to a high school, middle school, or college-age student where they can experience the love of Jesus with a leader that cares about them? Um, and so uh, that's what this uh, that's what Young Life is about. Um, that's what camp is about. Um, and I would love for you to just uh, enjoy uh, or join in that with, with us. So I want to thank you for your time this morning. Um, this church, I want you to know that I've been on Young Life staff for, for 24 years. And this church has been nothing but supportive of what the ministry of Young Life is and has joined together um, and said, hey, we would love for Young Life to be an outreach arm of what we do here at Wellspring, and I just want to say thank you. Um, you guys are absolutely amazing, and it is a privilege to serve Jesus with you all. Um, so thank you guys, and I appreciate your time. Right, folks. <laughs> well... I, and I, I thought about this first statement because I really didn't know what people thought about me. <laughs> Is that really, I, I wrote this and I'm like, I wonder what people think. But I really, at heart, am a rule follower. <laughs> I mean, I know, honestly, like, I know you're laughing, but really, I'm, I'm a person that kind of likes order. 
and for things to kind of work in a certain way, and that requires rules to be in place. So, um, so for instance, like last Wednesday when the storm came, right, um, I left church about 4.30, and that's when it was starting to get kind of hairy. And I get in my car and turn left on Farron to head home, and all the traffic lights are out. And so I pull up to the first one right here, and everybody's operating like they should. Four-way stop, right? Everybody takes a turn, one car at a time, right? So no problem. I get to noise, no problem. Sailing along, right? I get up by Hilliards and, and 36th Street, no problem. I get to the bell. By Starbucks right there, I'm waiting in line, and I'm, you know, about 10 cars deep because it's kind of slow. I'm looking up, and three and four cars at a time are going out when one side goes, and nobody knows what's going on. I mean, I was, like, flipping out in my car. Like, I'm glad there was not a, like, recorder or, you know, pastor's worst moment cam in my car because I was just like, what are you people doing? Like, just be patient. One at a time, we're all going to get through this, and nobody has to die before Christmas, right? But I was just like, who are these people who was just like, well, screw everybody else. I'm just, I feel like going, so I'm going, you know? I'm just like, what gives you the right to think that you're special? So anyways, I like rules, all right? Woo. And I think Jesus would agree with me. Because... When he came, one of the things he did was he broke the rules all the time, consistently. And, and we're going to come back and talk about that in just a minute. So, whew, all right, got that out of my system. <laughs> now, when the angel came to speak to Joseph and to tell him a little bit about this son that was going to be married to his future, it was going to be born from his future wife, Mary, um, this is what he said about that that son, the angel in Matthew 121, it says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus, um, the name is the Greek form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. And today we're talking about this fourth advent theme of love. And as Kenny was, was talking about this morning, from the very beginning of time, the father's heart was motivated by love. It was love that led him to create um, this world and all the beauty, um, you know, the animals, the nature, just the mountain streams, waterfalls, all that stuff. That was motivated by love that we would get to enjoy that. And when he created all that, then he was motivated by love to create uh, all of us, mankind, right, in his image. He was motivated by love that when he prompted him to create a partner for Adam. It was love that, that allowed him and gave him this desire for Adam and Eve to, to have free will so that they could freely choose to love as well. And we all know how the story goes. Those first parents of ours in the garden chose to disobey God and sin entered the world. But because God is love, he already had a plan for that as well, because <laughs> he knew how the story was going to go down. And Jesus had already been a part of the story before the first sin was committed. 
The first two verses of the Gospel of John make that very clear. In talking about Jesus, the Word, he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So Jesus was right there. And remember last week we read that when the angels announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds out in the field, that, that the angel said, this will be good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You see, Jesus is for all of us, right? Not just for the nation of Israel and, and the fellow Jews, but for everyone in the world. He came to save us. Now, the problem is that most of the world doesn't think it needs to be saved. Most people in the world think, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. I mean, I've got my areas, you know, nothing major, a few flaws, just a few tweaks here and there, and I'm, I'm probably better than, you know, 80% of the world. I mean, that's, that's the way most humans tend to think. I'm not doing that bad. Surely when I get to heaven, all my, my good acts will, will be enough, you know, that God will let me in, no problem. But you see, when you don't realize that you need saving, this whole story of God sending his son to the world to, to die, to rescue and redeem you, it just doesn't pack the same punch. It doesn't register as the unbelievable love that it is. All right? So earlier we were talking about rules. And the religious leaders of Israel had all kinds of rules to keep people what they called clean and undefiled. And what that meant was that if you were clean, you got to go and participate in church life. You got to go to the synagogue, okay? If you were unclean, you didn't get to do that. And so the church leaders, um, uh, the, the Pharisees, had all these rules about who you were supposed to stay away from, anybody that might contaminate you and make you, you unclean. So this was you know, people who had diseases or deformities or people who made sinful choices in their life. And associating with these undesirables could contaminate you in a way that wouldn't allow you to be worthy enough to be in God's presence. So this was the religious climate of exclusion that Jesus was going to be entering into when he started his ministry. So with those things in mind, isn't it interesting that God chose to send the Savior of the world through a girl who would have been shunned by her society, even rightfully stoned to death according to their custom for being an unwed mother? God's unconventional plan for Mary to mother Jesus, inviting scandalous accusations from the very start, was a clue, or at least it should have been a clue, that God was going to come in a way that only some would find him. Those humble enough, those bold enough to believe that God often colors outside the man-made lines. And as soon as Jesus began his earthly ministry, you start to see his rule-breaking tendencies on full display, right? He was doing everything wrong. He was showing compassion and love to all the wrong people. He was touching the untouchables. He was moving towards the marginalized. 
inviting the harlots, the, the Roman collaborators, the poor, the outcasts to join his inner circle. And people who the religious leaders defined as problematic were invited to the banqueting table and given the best seats of honor. And what did they have in common? What they had in common was they, they knew they were broken. And they were humble enough to admit that they needed a savior. And Jesus' love was grand enough to make room for them in this club that they thought they'd been excluded from. And that unbelievable grace, compassion, and love was why Matthew, right, the tax collector, the Roman collaborator, when he was invited to follow Jesus, that unbelievable love prompted Matthew to invite all of his sinful friends to a big party so that they could meet Jesus too. It's why Mary poured out perfume on Jesus' feet in the company of a bunch of important men that Jesus was sitting down to have dinner with. And she was weeping tears of joy and kissing Jesus' feet, and she didn't care who was watching her. Jesus' love is why the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, right, who runs back into town to tell everybody, you've got to come and meet this man who knows everything about me. He's got all the dirt on me. And she knew that the town knew the dirt. But despite all of that, he offered me living water and eternal life anyway. You've got to meet this guy. Jesus' love is why Zacchaeus repented of his sin and paid back with interest all the money that he'd been stealing from people for years as a Roman tax collector because love had brought salvation to Zacchaeus' house that day. And he knew that he didn't have to keep a living a lie, being someone that he never wanted to be to begin with. And guys, as I was writing that paragraph in particular this past Friday, uh, I mean, just tears were just rolling down my face. And part of that is because I, I made some time to really ponder each one of their stories and what it must have been like for them to feel like somebody on the outside, to feel like somebody whose life had gone so far astray that they thought there's no way that I'm going to be good enough for God, at least not the God the church people are talking about. And then to find out that Jesus was crazy about them and that there was room at the table, there was a seat for them with their name on it at the table, Guys, are we that grateful for our redemption? Have you taken the time just to ponder the fact that you're loved by a God who doesn't have to invite you in, <laughs> who knows everything about you? In just the same way, 2,000 years later, Jesus loves each one of us. He loves the most hidden, the most unbearable, the most broken parts of each of us. The lavish love of God spills over and through the cracks of the walls and the barriers that we put up between us and God to keep him away. Have you experienced that love? Not just the knowledge that Jesus came and he died on the cross so that you could be free from your sin, 
but have you been wrecked by a love that sees you, that knows your name, that knows everything about you, anything that you've ever done and anything that you will do? Who gaze, whose gaze pierced through history from the cross and sees you in all your brokenness and says, come to me. There is forgiveness and grace and love for you. I hope you know that love. One of my favorite writers, a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wrote this. He said, and it is the wonder of all wonders that God loves the lowly. God is not ashamed of the lowliness of human beings. God marches right in. He chooses people as his instruments and performs his wonders where one would least expect them. God is near loneliness. He loves the lost, the neglected, the unseemly, the excluded, the weak, and the broken. I want you guys to go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. It's page 1740 in your pew Bibles. My daughter Kylie is going to read verses 7 through 12 of chapter 4. If you can go ahead and stand up, Kai. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Well, guys, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, um, but we are in a second advent now. All right, just like the people of Israel were waiting for the first coming of the Messiah, Jesus, we are a people, Christ followers, who are waiting for his return, right? So we are in a constant season of advent, of waiting for Christ to come. And so many people missed Jesus' first coming, <laughs> because they weren't open to his generous and expansive love that included people that they didn't think were worthy of his love. But Jesus' circle was bigger than they imagined. So a question we need to be asking ourselves as his ambassadors to this world is how are we, going to be, how are we currently preparing people for that day when Christ returns? And the answer we just found in the passage there is that by taking the love that we've received at Christmas and extending it out to those around us, especially those folks who we might deem as being the least worthy of the message, the farthest from God. And I love that last verse in the passage, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. His love is made complete in us. 
So the question that I want to just toss around here this morning is this. How is it made complete by loving others? How is God's love made complete in us by loving other people? What do you think that verse means? Because what he's implying is that there's an incompleteness in not loving others. Yeah, Olivia? It shows that he did wrap his love for you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, she's saying that, that that means that you've kind of grasped his love for you if you're then able to extend that to other people who might feel not worthy of it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Justin? Yeah. Yeah, he's talking about how the, the Jesus summed down the law, right, and the commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that as you do those things, that that completeness of God's love in you really comes to fruition, right? We first have to sit in and understand, um, you know, how much God loves us and how unworthy of that love we were to then have the desire to see other people experience that as well. Good. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, Devin. Um, when I think of love, like if my wife loves something and then I choose not to love it, it's pretty hard for me to say I'm loving my wife. And so like God loves people. And if we don't, then it's really hard for us to say we love God because love is love. Mm. Now that's really good. <laughs> He's saying that, uh, yeah, who'd have thought? Devin Kearns. I mean... <laughs> just teasing. <laughs> he said that, you know, if his, his wife loves someone, you know, that, that it's his role as a husband, you know, to, that he ought to be loving towards that person as well. And he said, you know, if God loves everyone, right, and came, and this was going to be good news for all, and God loves every person for us to say, oh, I only love these po- folks or these folks. And not that we would ever really say it, <laughs> but our actions in our heart and our spirit communicate it, Right? in how we differentiate the way that we treat other people in this world, right? Those people on those channels that we don't like or that have those opinions, you know, right, that, that, that would cause us to, to have a, a judgmental, critical, <laughs> separatist spirit towards them as opposed to understanding that God died just as much for them, <laughs> right? As we talk about here, like the ground of the foot of the cross is level, Right? We are all in equal need of God's mercy and grace. Hmm, that's good. Guys, love came calling in a most unpredictable way to a young couple that had to navigate this really awkward situation of a pregnancy before marriage. But what I love about Mary and Joseph is that they never doubted God's love for them. And so I just want to ask you a question this morning. Is there an area in your life that you've been keeping away from Jesus that you might open up to him? For him to show you his love in a place where you're most ashamed, most wounded, 
are most hurt. Those are the very places Jesus longs to redeem, longs to show you the vast storehouse of his grace, is when we invite him to the very places we believe are making us, us the most unlovable. Guys, our, our theme, all the feels, <laughs> as we've talked about, um, my, my goal and my quest for this Advent season for us is that um, this information would go past our head into our heart. And, and that's a harder journey for some of us than others. And this past week, as I was trying to write this message, um, it was just a struggle. And it doesn't happen that often, but man, I was just like, I, got, I just got nothing. I mean, I just didn't know what I was going to say, and I certainly wasn't feeling anything loving. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's Friday, and uh, actually Thursday when I left, and I just, as I talked to a few people that night, I was like, could you just pray for me? Like, I need help writing this message this week. Um, and spend some extra time on Friday morning praying and just asking for help. And, um, and God, man, he showed up. And, you know, like I was sharing when I was typing this out, you know, I mean, I'm just crying as I'm connecting with God's heart. And guys, I, I think that's something that we need to remember is that sometimes in order to feel something, we just have to ask God to help us feel it. We have to invite the Holy Spirit that's in us to, to come alive in us to make it new, make it fresh, hit us in a way that we haven't. And a lot of times, guys, that just takes time and space. And our problem is that we, we just kind of rush through life. And we rush on to the next distraction or the next task or whatever it might be. Sometimes the only way that we're really going to feel something is that we have to slow down and ponder and think about not only these people in here that encountered, you know, the crazy love of God, but we have to think about just our own experience and recount the ways God has loved us, the ways that he broke in in unexpected ways and met us in ways that we didn't deserve and extended grace to us in ways that we didn't think we were worthy of. And we have to go back to those and be reminded. Because only when we connect emotionally Will it lead to compassionate action? If it's all here, we might be doing things for Jesus, but it won't be with compassion and love. It'll be with a sense of obligation or duty or superiority, but not with compassion and tenderness. That only comes from here, from an emotional connection. So if you're struggling with that, I was there. I'll be there again very quickly. Maybe this morning during communion, we just ask God to just open your heart, help you to feel and connect with what we're talking about. The enemy wants to keep you dry and stale and unmoved by this story, right? So don't let him win. <laughs> Invite God into that, to battle for your heart today. Um, as we come and take communion this morning, uh, our ushers will dismiss you in a few minutes. We're going to have some time of silence. There's um, kind of the little cups and stuff if you'd rather do it that way. And there's gluten-free uh, stuff on those tables as well. So do you join me in prayer?
Dear God, we um, just come to you this morning. Uh, God, I just admit, like, as, as I walked in the room this morning, as people were coming in and were getting ready to, to sing and begin, man, there was just an excitement here, an electricity, a joy that was so good to experience today. Um, people just seemed genuinely happy to be here, happy to see one another, happy to be in this place to worship you and to uh, kind of reorient ourselves to your position in this season and in our life and in this world. God, you are above all things. You are in all things, the creator of all things. You redeem all things. You restore all things. You heal all things. Help us to remember that and to have faith to believe that. And God, we thank you for the story that we could enter into today, these stories of your lavish love for people. And God, I pray that we would remember that you made space for us. But that in remembering that, God, it would prompt us to want to take that message out to other people so that your love might be complete in us, so that we would understand your heart to see every person come to know you. God, the scripture says that you desire for no one to perish. And God, in order for that to happen, we have to take that message to the world. And in order for that to happen, our hearts have to change to desire to see every person come to know you, no matter what we think about them. So God, change us so that we can love the way you love. 